We dismiss our children for their time and form of worship as the rest of us bow our heads together and pray. You are the everlasting instant. You're the one who is present on the day that we're born. We're, you're with us all the day long, even to this very hour. You're with us at the moment of our death, and you're with us in that step beyond. As we use this form of worship to try to articulate our reverence and our heart's desires, will you please come among it with spirit and make it real and life-giving and heart-transforming and communally revolutionary that we might build love here in this church and beyond this church. Hear us now as we seek to align our hearts with your son Jesus as together we pray the prayer that he taught, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. They say, whoever that ubiquitous they are, they say that breakfast is the most important meal of the day. You've heard this, right? This is the story of the most important breakfast. The disciples find themselves on the seashore after Jesus has been crucified. This is a scene where Simon Peter and the other disciples had had many amazing experiences. It's not a big sea. It's really not much more than a lake, really. But on that seaside, they'd seen many a miracle. They'd seen Jesus walk on the water. They'd seen Jesus on the hillside feed the 5,000. And yet they had failed at the newer, bigger life. Simon had denied Jesus three times. The rest of the disciples had fled when Jesus was executed. And so Simon Peter says, I think with some resignation, I'm going fishing. Don't mistake this for recreational fishing. This is his livelihood. He's saying, in essence, I'm going back to my old life, to the way it was. But it seems that even in his old life, he's lost his touch. They fish all night long and catch nothing. And to make matters worse, there's a stranger on the seashore who names their failure out loud. Children, he says, children, you've caught nothing, have you? Well, no. So the stranger proposes a modification Not a large one, but a profound one. One that requires a redirection, a turning. Cast your nets on 
the right side of your boat, he says. And there, of course, are the fish. A net full of fish. And John, the one who modestly refers to himself as the one whom the Lord loved, says, it's the Lord. So there's Jesus on the shore. Surely that reminded them of that scene where Jesus walks to them on the water when they're on the boat and he's on the shore. Only this time, when Simon Peter hears it's the Lord, he puts on his clothes in order to jump in the water. I've always wondered about that. That's not my usual way. And I've assumed that he jumped into the water in order to be the first on the shore. But I wonder if it really is a depiction of how Simon Peter feels. Vulnerable, naked, exposed. And his jumping in the water was not in order to be the first to the shore, but rather to be the one that hides and avoids eye contact with this one he's denied. They get to shore and fish is cooking. But Jesus still invites the disciples, bring the fish that you've caught. Simon Peter runs back to the boat and gets the fish. And John makes the note that there were 153 fish in the net. Scholars tell us this is the number of known fish species at that time, at that particular time. In other words, Everyone is included in this net. It represents all the people of the world. And I think, what a, what a beautiful image. Until I realized that the ones in the net are about to become somebody's breakfast. Which is the way I think a lot of people feel about church. Welcome to church. Now we're going to fillet you and batter you and just grill you up. As Mac Brown said this week in a capital campaign conversation, if Highland didn't energize me so much, it would wear my butt out. (laughs) That's almost what you said. But that's the point of the breakfast. This stuff does energize us. It allows us to see that there is more to life than meets the eye. That there's more here for you and me to experience than what the rest of the world has a clue about. And sometimes, frankly, more than even we know is possible. The last time Jesus and the disciples had a meal together, they referred to it as the Last Supper. I would suggest that we call this the First Breakfast The meal of a new day where they're breaking the fast of all that's old, all that's grievous, all of the things that are wrong and bad, all the mistakes we've made, and now we're having a new breakfast. A new day has dawned. Let's start it anew. This breakfast is about everyone. Bringing what we have and who we are, our very lives, everyone contributing to this campaign to feed and nurture all of the world. It's really, it's not about religion in the sense of just doing the things that 
you have to do in order to be in God's good stead. But rather, it's about being found and finding our deepest purpose in something that's larger than ourselves. To be part of something that's profound and beautiful. To be caught up in that moment that unites us together as we build love together. Frankly, some people are not interested in building love. They're more like the cow and the pig and the duck. In the children's story, the little red hen. You remember she invited the cow and the pig and the duck to join in the work. Who will help me till the ground? Who will help me plant the seeds? Who will help me harvest the grain? Not I, said the duck. Not I, not I said the cow. Not I, said the pig. I mean, what's in it for me? Until, of course, the hen got to the place of asking, who will help me eat the bread? I will, they all answered. I'm not out to judge those who don't want to build love. Frankly, I understand that. It almost seems the more normal way. For whoever said it's more blessed to give than receive... They've not gotten some of the good gifts I've gotten. Man, it's pretty fun to receive. Until that day comes along. When for some reason you find yourself giving more than you receive. You find yourself losing yourself. In some larger work of love, you've been invited to bring your gift and become a part. And you realize this is the most fulfilling, liberating, transforming experience that a human being can ever have. I think we get a little taste of it now and then, here and there. I think we got a little taste of it last weekend, last Saturday and Sunday and Monday and Tuesday is We watched those NCAA basketball games after Kevin Ware broke his leg. And I know sports analogies are kind of lame and they leave a lot of people out. But we all, I think all of us, even some of you Wildcats out there, we all felt some connection to this larger push. We connected to Peyton Seaver and Russ Smith and Jane Behannon and Gorgie Jang and Wayne Blackshear and Montrez Harrell, and, we, and with the women, with Bria and Shoni and Jude and Sarah and Antonita and Monique, we, we, we worked with them. After, after the games, and you'd, you'd be on the street the next day, and you'd see somebody in red and go, oh my gosh, how about that game? And they'd say to you, I'm exhausted. And you know they, they didn't run one lap on that court. But we were, we were completely exhausted because we had abandoned ourselves. And it wasn't just a game in that moment. We were in this together. And when Russ Smith wasn't having a good game, along comes Luke hitting those threes. And we thought, we can do this. And it happens to us. Maybe it's a crisis. Maybe it was last year when the hurricane hit just up the road. Or maybe it's a moment in this room where the organ swells and the choir sings and we join the choir and you're caught in something bigger 
I think that's why young people like to go to concerts and festivals. They lose themselves in something bigger, something more profound. And I wonder, what if the sacred invitation, what if, what if the point of all this is to lose ourselves in building love, in being called to this bigger life that says it's not just about you, it's about us. The Africans have a philosophy called Ubuntu, which is translated, I am because we are. It's a Bantu uh, phrase. Someone gave me an illustration this week that I thought so beautifully explained Ubuntu. An anthropologist had gone to an African tribal village and was doing some experiments with some of the tribal children. Let's play a game, he said. I'm going to put a basket of fruit under that tree. We're going to line up here, and when I say go, the first one to get to that basket can have all the fruit for herself or for himself. Ready? They line up. Go. And the children join hands and begin to run toward the goal where they sit down together and enjoy the basket of fruit. Did you not understand the rules? Asked the anthropologist. Whoever got there first could have it all for himself. And their answer was Ubuntu. How can one of us be happy when all the rest of us are sad? I am because we are. I think that's what we try to say in these baby dedications. We're all in this together. Whether it's your child or grandchild, we're all in this together. That's what Phil was trying to say in, the, in his reflection on our Building Love campaign. This is about not only our children, but God's children. One born today to Shana and Patty. Unknown ones who will be born into the future. They're all our children. Can you imagine a world where winning, winning is about what's good for all of us rather than what's good for one of us? That's what the Building Love campaign is all about. I will admit to you that at first I thought it was about renovating some space up on the third level. And then secondly, I thought it was about the money. I'm kind of the guy that's supposed to help generate the money. Show me the money. So I thought when the consultant we hired, John Hewitt, said to us, if all we do is raise money, we will have failed, I thought, hey, dude, you're just hedging your bets here. Show me the money. But I think he's right. He's right. Building love is about being transformed into the likeness of Christ. As individuals and as a faith community, it's about being invited to sacrifice for our children and for all of God's children. It's about, as the old saying goes, planting trees that maybe we'll never sit under. 
It's about believing that God can use our fish, our gifts, to help feed a world. I ask myself, what would it take for me to live such an altered state, such a radical reorientation? For the truth of the matter is, not trying to be falsely modest, the truth of the matter is, I fail the Ubuntu test daily. I worry about how to save my own skin, how to preserve my own reputation, how to keep my life easy and secure. I'm just like Simon Peter, who stood by that charcoal fire earlier. Surely it reminded him that day as they ate breakfast. Surely it reminded him of the earlier charcoal fire. For he had warmed his hands and denied Jesus three times. I'm more like him than I'd like to admit. Maybe that's why Jesus talked earlier in John about being born again. Born from above. Maybe that means not just being saved from hell in the future, but being saved from the hell of self-centeredness that destroys and is violent to others and to our own souls. And just in case we're dull, like those first disciples who were certainly dull, Jesus takes Simon Peter aside and asks him three times, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And most of us know that Simon Peter having Deny Jesus three times is essentially given the opportunity to come back into the fold, to be able to name his repentance and receive that grace that is always God's gift. Listen, if you're here today and you think, I'm not good enough for this, just remember Simon Peter. Remember Saul that Emily read about who was such a hater that he went around killing the Christians and how God used him to take the message to the Gentiles and to kings and to all the world. He gives Simon Peter this opportunity, but he does more than that. He gives Simon Peter, who I think may, may have been a little bit ADD, he gives Simon Peter a chance to hear three times what our mission is if we love Jesus. Feed my sheep. I saw a little video from these two actors called the Skit Guys. They were doing a little rendition of this very scene. Jesus said to him, if you love me, feed my sheep. Simon Peter says, Jesus, I didn't even know you had livestock. That's so totally like you, and that's what I love about you. You're always full of surprises, which is a great response for someone as literally minded as Simon Peter has been through the text. But you and I know that we're not talking about livestock. We're talking about people. We're talking about the children. We're talking about Catherine. But we're talking about all of God's children. 
and what they need to grow in God's grace and to thrive and to be redeemed. I think that's what this Building Love campaign is about. It's not the only way we can live this out, but it's one way for you and me to be able to answer the call to this bigger life that God wants to give you even right now. Let's pray together. Believing as we do that you are the way, the truth, and the life, may we follow your way and give of ourselves and let your sheep be fed. In your holy name we pray. Amen.